Sunshine Radio, the hospital radio station for Western Supermare. And welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Club. I'm Marcus, and alongside me is Mr. Nick Chaffee. Hello. Now, for those that don't know, Nick Chaffee is the man that loves movies so much that he's currently working on a film about a serial killer who targets 1970s English mod revival bands that eat fruit preserves. (laughs) Okay. Something he's called... Silence of the Jams. Love it. Coming up on today's show, I shouldn't laugh, it's my own joke. No, it's okay. It's okay, come on. Coming up on today's show, we'll be reviewing Bohemian Rhapsody, the extraordinary story of the life of Freddie Mercury, and then later we'll also be looking at the thrilling sequel to 2015 Sicario. It's Sicario 2. Soldado. And if you'd like to test your film knowledge, then do stay tuned for our movie quiz, Take 5. All right now, though, here's Nick with the latest movie news. Yep, the headlines this week. Oscar-hungry Netflix changes strategy on cinema premieres. Kenneth Branagh and Judy Gench to star as Shakespeare and Wife in Oscar-tipped film. And Stephen King sells film rights for story to Welsh teenagers for one dollar. first story. The, in a significant change of strategy, Netflix is to release its awards hopeful films in cinemas before launching them on its streaming service. According to Deadline, over the next two months, Netflix is planning to release Roma, Alfonso Cuaron's Mexico-set family drama, the Coen Brothers western The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and Bird Box, the Sandra Bullock-starring horror directed by Susan Beer. Roma is generating especially strong Oscar buzz after winning the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, and Netflix appears to have accepted that not giving it a run in cinemas will harm its chances with Academy voters. Netflix has previously resisted premiering its films in cinemas, preferring to release them either simultaneously in theatres and online or dispensing with big screen release altogether. Putatively commercial projects such as its Adam Sandler series, the Brad Pitt starring war film War Machine and the Will Smith supernatural crime drama Bright have not appeared in cinemas at all, while more niche films such as the Bong Joon-ho directed eco-fable Okja and the D. Reese race drama Mudbound were given short cinema releases alongside their streaming debuts in part to ensure qualification for awards. However, Netflix's release policy has meant its films were excluded from this year's Cannes Film Festival, as they were not guaranteed a theatrical release in French cinemas, and it has failed to gain berths in major US cinema chains for not adhering to the customary window between theatrical and home entertainment releases. The Paul Greengrass directed film 22 July about the uh, 2011 Utoya Island Massacre appears to have done well using the simultaneous release model. Netflix does not declare viewing figures, but Deadline reports a source claiming that it has been watched on 14.5 million subscribers accounts so far, with 92% watching to the end. 
Outlaw King, the Robert the Bruce biopic directed by David McKenzie, is likewise an awards contender and will be released in a similar manner. Netflix will give Roma a three-week cinema run beginning in the US on the 21st of November before it starts streaming on the 14th of December. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs will be given less time, uh, one week between its theatrical release in the UK and the US on 8th of November and its online premiere on the 16th of November, as will Bird Box, which goes into theatres on 13th of December before going online on the 21st of December. I don't know that that worries me. I think if you're going to put a film out, get a bit more publicity, build up a bit of the hype by putting it on at the, the film festivals, and you're only waiting an extra week or so, Yeah, it's not an issue, is it? Well, exactly. I mean, um, uh, my side of it is I would normally prefer to see these films in cinemas in the in the first place. I'm very happy to hear that Roma's getting a cinematic release because I've you know heard great things, not just about it as a film, but as something that um, works as a, you know, a projected cinematic experience. Um, and I, you know, I wish they'd have uh, started doing this a little bit earlier because um, do you remember the um, uh, the film Annihilation? Yes, I do. Directed yes. by uh, Alex Garland, it's like his follow up to um, Ex Machina. Um, only only given a theatrical release in the US, um, and Netflix had it internationally. Um, as far as UK screenings go, there was one three weeks after the facts, and uh, it, it's a film that I really really like. But it's a film I wish I'd been able to see properly projected with a big sound system on a cinema as as it was designed to be i mean part of me is uh you know thankful that it got released at all <laughs> which you might not have been able to do about the uh about the netflix distribution but these i think we forget a lot of these films are designed to be seen on a big screen um and so it's nice to to, to get the option to do so a late contender to next year's Oscar race was announced on Wednesday as Sony Pictures confirmed their purchase of All Is True, Kenneth Branagh's latest Shakespearean enterprise. The film, which will have a one-week awards qualifying run in the US before the end of this year, before being released more widely in 2019, stars Branagh as Shakespeare and Julie Dench as his wife Anne Hathaway. The plot involves Shakespeare's return to Stratford-upon-Avon in 1613 after a dev- devastating fire destroys the Globe Theatre. The film reportedly examines their by-then-troubled marriage and their grief at the death of their only son, Hamlet. Shakespeare died three, year, three years later, aged 52, Hathaway in 1623, aged 67. Branagh directs from a script by Ben Elton. E. McKellen co-stars as the Earl of Southampton, to whom Shakespeare dedicated his two narrative poems, and who has frequently been identified as the fair youth of his sonnets. Branagh, 57, has directed and starred in multiple big-screen adaptations of Shakespeare plays, including Henry V in 1989, Much Ado About Nothing in 92, Hamlet in 96, and Love's Labour's Lost in 2000. Oh, and As You Like It in 2006. That's a longer list than I anticipated. <laughs> Last Christmas, he directed and starred as Hercule Poirot in a new version of Murder on the Orient Express. A follow-up, Death on the Nile, is currently in pre-production. And Dench... Uh, 83 last acted opposite Branagh on stage in a 2015 production of The Winter's Tale and also featured in his films of Hamlet and Henry V and Murder on the Orient Express uh, previous on-screen barred outings include Peter Hall's 1968 film of A Midsummer Night's Dream a 1979 TV movie of Macbeth opposite Ian McKellen which I believe I saw in school now that I think about it and a 1978 TV movie of The Comedy of Errors she also stars in the uh, Branagh directed Artemis Fowl scheduled for release in August 2019 Ben Elton, did you say, right? Yes. Wow. Which I'm, I'm very interested in, because have you been watching uh, his series Upstart Crow? I've seen bits of it. It's, uh, it's very, very good, because um, for those who don't know, it sort of focuses on, um, on William Shakespeare. It's a you know, sort of sitcom, sort of in the mould of Blackadder. But With that's uh, been, David Mitchell? David Mitchell yeah, in, the, yeah. in the lead role, and um, uh, Lisa Tarbuck as, <laughs> as Anne Hathaway, um, which is fantastic. And you know, recently had a uh, 
quite a quite an emotional uh, end to the series, which was which I was not expecting, but I, I thought they they pulled it off really well. Um, and I'm yeah very interested to see him uh, sort of tackle some more Shakespeare stuff. And yeah, Kenneth Branagh, as, as I understand, is always always been pretty good at the the Shakespeare things. Well. I think he's a pretty safe pair of hands. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to it. Uh, the horror writer Stephen King has given a group of teenage fans from South Wales permission to turn one of his tales into a film at a cost of $1 for the rights. Youngsters from Trudegar in uh, Blynau Gwent will spend the next couple of months working on the script before filming the story Stationary Bike in and around town. They will not be able to make a profit on the film, but hope to get it screened at festivals and will send King a copy as part of the deal. Members of the Blynau Gwent Film Academy, which is supported by the BBC's Children in Need, decided to write to King as they cast around for a project. Kevin Phillips of Green Valley Film Productions, who will help the teenagers make the movie, said King's office came back within 24 hours to explain how he could go about obtaining the rights to the story. They were fantastic, he said. Within a few days, the contract was signed, and we sent off an actual dollar, 77p, to the US. Alfie Evans, 16, and Keris Cliff, 14, are working on a script and have cast a local actor in the lead part. Phillips will direct the movie and is hoping filming will begin around Christmas time. King's short story is about an artist, Richard Sefkitz, who begins riding a stationary bike in the basement of his New York apartment building to help tackle high cholesterol. To help alleviate his boredom, he buys maps and plots a route from New York to the town of Herkimer, each day marking the number of miles he has ridden towards his goal. But as he nears the target, he begins having strange thoughts that there was someone following him on his daily rides. The Tredegar uh, teenagers are benefiting from a scheme called Dollar Baby, under which students are allowed to make films based on King's work. Uh, the director, Frank Darbont, made a short called The Woman in the Room on a Dollar Baby contract, and then went on to direct The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption, all Stephen King stories. <laughs> You're no pressure uh, to the target group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck to them. Fantastic. Yeah. Are you familiar with the story? Because it's, um, I've never heard of it. No, I mean, no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's give you a quick rundown now of the top five UK box office films and the top five UK film rentals. We will start at the box office. And at number five, we have Johnny English Strikes Again. Yep, still hanging on in there, so clearly people have been watching it. Uh, not me, so I've got, I've got nothing to say about it. <laughs> number four, we have Smallfoot. Yep, um, Zendaya is still Michi as we discussed last time. Um, I've, I've still not seen this one. <laughs> but, <clears throat> excuse me, interesting that it, it's gone up in the, the, the two weeks since the last show. Half turn, kids are out. Well, there we go. Yeah, I'll be why. Number three, we have uh, Halloween. Yes, um, which I'm, I'm hoping to see um, at some point this weekend because I've, I've got a couple of days off. Um, I've, I've heard really good things about it. This is, it's just, I mean, despite the name, it's, uh, I think, a, the, the redoing a sequel to the original yes. one. So Jamie Lee Curtis is back. Interestingly, John Carpenter is also back, back, but doing the score. Oh, really? This one, and he has always had a good way with uh, making music on his own films. So it'll be interesting to see what what he sort of turns out for for someone else making a film based on his previous work. If that's yeah. yeah. Well, my mate Steve went to see it, and if you trust a guy called Steve, then he liked it. I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, we have a star is born. Yep. Uh, still not going around to reviewing it properly, but we'll you know we'll, we'll get there eventually. But loved it. Oh, I'm gen- gen- genuinely surprised by how much I loved it. Good songs, good good performances, good good story. I hadn't seen any of the previous versions, so I had no idea what the story actually was going into it. And yeah, I got I got really caught up in that. Good, good stuff. And number one, we have Bohemian Rhapsody, which we will be reviewing shortly. Okay, let's go there to the UK film rentals chart. And at number five, we have Coco. Yeah, uh, latest from Pixar. So you, I think that's that's always a, a guarantee of a certain amounts of quality. Yeah, and Coco definitely has that really good stuff. Number four, we have Solo, a Star Wars story. 
it's it's fine. It's a film. It's <laughs> it certainly is a film. It's 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 just not um, distinctive enough to put it apart from the rest of the um, you know any other uh, humorous knockabout comedy action films that are they're out there, which is uh, which is a shame. At number three, we have Hurricane. Yeah, I've not heard of this one. This is the uh, the World War Two uh, film covering the 303 Squadron, which was the the Polish squadron flying the hurricane uh, aircraft and uh, their their fights both uh, at home and in in the sky okay do do we know if this is one this is one that's gone direct to dvd or um, was it in cinemas i don't think it made the cinema i can check that but i don't so it's it's not one i'm familiar with sounds sounds interesting though uh number two we have the greatest showman yeah um uh, i mean it's uh, (laughs) It's a film. This is something that's going to come up a, a little bit later, uh, I think, on where I under... It, it wasn't for me, but I understand why some people are enamored with it. It's like, a, it's a... It's it's a big thing. <laughs> some people like big things. Um, I mean, I, I, I too enjoy big things from, from time to time, um, but this one was, I think, a, a little bit too big. It didn't earn its bigness, if that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Wow. That got really cryptic, and that, that wasn't intentional. I'm sorry about that. Um, and the number one, uh, we have Ocean's Eight. Um, yeah, which I, um, I, I've heard some. Well, I've heard mixed things about it. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to see it myself um, because I hold the um, the previous Steven Soderbergh Ocean's films in such high regard. I think like the 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 remake of Ocean's Eleven might be. I think now I mentioned this right at the very right when we started the program. It's one of my actually one of my favorite films of all time because it's one of the first films I I owned on DVD. So I sort of saw it on a loop and then uh, really really grew quite fond of it. So um, I don't know. Maybe I will bite the bullet and uh, check out this one if I have time. If I have time, <laughs> it's, 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 it's that kind of film. And apparently, uh, just to jump back to Hurricane. Oh yeah. It, it um, yeah it was a cinema release. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. Want to catch up on hopefully. Okay, coming up next on our first film review on today's show is The Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, a chronicle of the years leading up to Queen's legendary appearance at Live Aid in 1985. And now it's time on the Sunshine Cinema Club for the first film review on the show, and it's Bohemian Rhapsody Certificate 12A. Freddie Mercury, the extraordinary lead singer of Queen, defied stereotypes and shattered convention to become one of the world's most beloved entertainers. This film traces the meteoric rise of the band through their iconic songs and revolutionary sound. They reached unparalleled success, but in an unexpected turn, Freddie, surrounded by darker influences, shuns Queen in pursuit of his solo career. Having suffered greatly without the collaboration of Queen, Freddie manages to reunite with his bandmates just in time for Live Aid. While bravely facing a recent AIDS diagnosis, Freddie leads the band in one of the greatest performances in the history of rock music. Stamp to this beat. Come on. Now, I want you to clap on the third beat. What's going on? You know if you're on time. I want to give the audience a song that they can perform. So what can they do? Imagine thousands of people doing this in unison. Huh? Well, 
what's the lyric? Now, Bohemian Rhapsody was directed by Brian Singer. Uh, he's the man that was heavily involved with the X-Men films, but also directed the 1995 classic, The Usual Suspects. Are we going to mention it was mostly directed by Brian Singer? Oh, go on. He was um, um, well, replaced two-thirds of the way through, um, initially supposedly because he was um, ill and unable to come in. Later transpired that he just didn't fancy turning up, so they fired him and uh, hired uh, Dexter Fletcher in, instead. It was written by the Oscar-nominated Anthony McCartan, who did the screenplay for The Theory of Everything, and also wrote Darkest Hour. Okay, that's, that explains a lot. <laughs> uh, Bohemian Rhapsody stars Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury, and going back to people who were maybe fired or not uh, able to fulfil their desire to complete the role, um, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, we know we talked about on the at the, the end of the last show. Yeah. Now, you may also spot... Mr. Mike Myers in this film. Yeah, well, or you might not, because I, <laughs> I, I saw it. I genuinely didn't know it was it was him, because I, I think we forget just how good he is at um, particularly, you know, certain British accents. Completely unrecognisable, I thought. <laughs> and also fans of Game of Thrones and Peaky Blinders may well spot Aidan Gillen. Yep, <laughs> doing his Aidan Gillen thing, where it's not entirely clear what accent he's supposed to be doing, but somehow it works. Now, being in Rhapsody... How does this film go about handling such a big story? Mm. That that is the. I mean, I think that I did um, specifically ask that question to myself at the um, the end of the last show because I, I was wondering what the, what the result was going to be. Um, I've had tempered expectations for this. I mean, not only because obviously Freddie Mercury was a, a, a one in a million performer, um, not only because of the thing with the um, you know, switching directors two thirds of the way through. But uh, because of another film that I saw fairly recently called Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Do you remember this one at all? No. Um, it was a uh, comedy uh, parody of a musical by a big star. Um, uh, John C. Riley in the, in the lead role, uh, produced by Judd Apatow. I think it's, it came out ten years ago now, but it, it still holds up as a, a pretty much a pitch-perfect parody of, of, of music by a it's, It came out on the heels of... Um, Walk the Line, the uh, the Johnny Cash movie, but I think it uh, applies to to most of the films in this uh, particular genre. They all have the same story beats, really, and it, it's it's very funny. It's absolutely merciless in its lampooning. Um, to the extent that I wondered how uh, future films would sort of push the envelope a little bit, because we we saw with um, Love and Mercy a couple of years ago about Brian Wilson, it was sort of about sort of a specific time in his life rather than his whole story. Um, so I, I was I was curious to see what um, how Bohemian Rhapsody would approach the story of of, of Freddie Mercury and Queen, uh, and I'm very disappointed to say that it does not even try to do anything that we've we haven't seen before. That's a problem in and of itself. But what really bothers me is that in order to fit the film's narrative into this neat pre-existing box, which has you know, proved lucrative in the uh, in the past, they have to deviate from the true story. Now, every film based on real events does this to a certain extent. Even most documentaries have things that they need to leave out in order to, to make the narrative flow as an interesting story. Um, but the changes made here 
only serve to make the other members of the band who aren't Freddie Mercury look better. And make no mistake, this is not, despite what the tagline may suggest, this is not a Freddie Mercury film. It's a Queen film, and that's clear from the very beginning. The first scene we have is Freddie in London. He's aged 18. He goes to a smile gig. That band singer leaves. Uh, Freddie introduces himself in a back alley. He literally says, I've got a four-octave range. Uh, and then Queen is, is formed that night. And we get nothing of his early life in Zanzibar. There's no scene of him finding his voice or, or learning to play piano and uh, other instruments. And, uh, and no scene of his family fleeing for their life from the violent revolution. I, been, I, I thought that would have been quite interesting to see, but apparently the, the film feels otherwise. There's, um, there's no scenes dwelling on his death either, for which I'm um, partially relieved, considering the, uh, the, <laughs> the tone of the film. But again, it misses an opportunity to have a, a really powerful climax scene where, you know, Deathly Ill, he still crushes the vocal performance on The Show Must Go On from, from their final album. So when the film isn't content leaving things out, it has to make things up, because it's the thing. Queen had a pretty easy ride. They didn't have a hit until their second album, but once they broke through... They retained that level of film pretty much for the for the rest of their career, so the script needs to invent uh, conflicts to, to to keep things interesting, um, and all of these inventions just serve to suggest that the band was always in the right and was was never wrong. So, for example, EMI didn't want to release uh, Bohemian Rhapsody as a single, so the band left the label defiantly, which did not happen. Um, the film. The film also suggests that Live Aid was not a, not a success until Queen started performing, which is ridiculous. We we literally get a scene of um, Bob Geldof. He's in the like the telephone room, and so one of the guys on the phone just sort of shakes his head, looks at him, and says, "Sorry, Bob, no one's calling." That's I, I almost swore that, that, that that's, that's ridiculous. It's uh, <laughs> um, and most egregious of all, and this is something that's included in the film's synopsis, which I, I find bizarre. Um, there's the assertion that Freddie uh, broke up the band to pursue a lucrative solo career. Um, that burnt out and didn't go the way that he planned, and then he returned to the band with his tail between his legs, which is absolutely not true. The band never broke up. His solo career was you know, partially successful, but he still remained on good terms with the rest of the band, and you know, they continued to make music. They you know, still pumped out one album every two years in the 80s. I don't understand why the film feels the need... To do this, Queen is not, they're not an underdog, not an underappreciated act. They are one of the biggest selling bands of all time worldwide, and I certainly do not understand why they feel the need to defame Freddie's achievements outside of the band. I could be really cynical and sort of, you know, theorize some sort of a conspiracy, but I think the actual fact is it's not intentional, just lazy, lazy writing and, and producers and, uh, and an original director who didn't know any better. On a positive note, <laughs> Rami Malek is is fantastic in the lead role, and I mean that was always going to be the film's biggest obstacle, um, but he nails it, and I feel like the film will probably be a huge success be- because of that. Because with, with musical by bi- bi- biopics, that's all that counts really. You get the lead actor right, and everything else about the film is um, inconsequential so long as you got the you know a decent performance. And songs that people know, I feel like people are going to show up and, and watch it. And, you know, people have done this number one on the charts. Um, I also want to highlight uh, Joseph Matillo, who... Did you recognise him at all? No. It's Tim from Jurassic Park, growing up. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, and he's, and he's good. I mean, it's not someone I recognise, but when I looked him up and thought, oh, 
Yeah. Where's he been? Well, he's been working as an actor on, you know, just lower profile gigs, really. Um, yeah, so it's nice to see him again, even if I did initially think that he was Lee Mack in a wig. Um, you mentioned Mike Myers as well, who I said is, is unrecognisable. Um, it's, a, it's a good performance, but the character he's playing, firstly, not a real person, and is, is basically a, a cartoon character. His voice, I, I watched it and I thought, this reminds me of something, but I can't think what, and I, I finally realised, you know what it is? It's the voice that you've been doing for the movie Quotes Quiz of the last couple of episodes. It's like a, a sort of vaguely northern thing. No one will play a queen, not really. Or... <sighs> and then that scene that he's in references Rain- Wayne's World explicitly. Like you're talking about teenagers banging their head. No one's going to do that to Bohemia Rhapsody. Which t- just reminds me how Queen have always been better served by fictional films. Because Wayne's World, they put Bohemia Rhapsody back in the charts in the, in the US. It reached number two. Um, and similarly over here, Shaun of the Dead completely revived um, Don't Stop Me Now. That was a song that just not did not get any airplay for decades after being released as a single. But now, every wedding playlist ever. <laughs> and, then, and he's done something similar with um, Brighton Rock in, um, in Baby Driver as well. So, I, I, I just sigh, really. One, one other positive thing. I have been pretty much religious. I, I wasn't really much of a Queen fan go in cinema like, I like certain songs but the last week I've been pretty religiously li- listening back to the back catalogue for the, the first time probably and there's some good stuff in there there's loads of, loads of gems that you know aren't, aren't singles some, some good stuff so I guess the film has done its job as an advert for that music as a film though just can't can't recommend it okay okay so I, I, I don't ask you this but I'm going to have to let's give it a, a sunshine uh, cinema club rating out of 10 it's, I, mean, I, I want to preface this by saying I understand that if, if people want to see it by all means go you'll probably enjoy it I did I, I enjoyed it a little bit to a certain extent while it was on it's only thinking about it at a time since that I've my opinion has soured unfortunately 4 out of 10 um, and I'm going to end this by uh, paraphrasing uh, a quote from one of my favourite movies Black Dynamite Freddie Mercury would turn in his grave if he was alive to see this well thank you Nick Okay, still to come on the Sunshine Cinema Club, we'll be reviewing the action thriller Sicario 2. Um, up next, though, it's the Take 5 film quiz. Well, you're listening to the Sunshine Cinema Club with Marcus and Nick, and now it's time for our Take 5 film quiz. Okay, so this is how it works. I'm going to give you five famous quotes from films, and you have to simply name the film the quote is from. Now, Nick's going to be taking part here in the studio. He hasn't seen uh, any of the information I have in front of me. Are we doing film titles and actors' names? Well, this is what I was going to say. There is a bonus point available for naming the actor that said the line. Okay. And quite frankly, Nick, if you don't... Have a guess at the actor's name. I'll be thoroughly disappointed. I'll, I'll always have a stab. That's why I got arrested. <laughs> so, using my finest, rather like acting skills. Okay. Are we going to get a bit Mike Myers? Well, <laughs> who knows? It's a mystery <laughs> to me. I'm going to give you the five quotes, and then we'll have uh, have a song, and then I'll come back and give you the answers. 
Can I start with number one? Nice easy one to start you with. Good. Frankly, need to hear, I don't give a damn. Frankly, need to hear, I don't give a damn. I feel like that's one of those quotes you could translate into a foreign language and people would still know what it is. <laughs> okay, number two. To infinity and beyond. To infinity and beyond. Number three. Kid, the next time I say let's go someplace like Bolivia, let's go someplace like Bolivia. Mm. Give me that one again. Kid, next time I say let's go someplace like Bolivia, let's go someplace like Bolivia. Now see, now I'm second guessing your your accents because I'm wondering if maybe that's a, a clue. Mm. <laughs> okay, number four. I had the craziest dream last night. I was dancing the white swan. I had the craziest dream last night. I was dancing the white swan. And finally, number five. A boy's best friend is his mother. A boy's best friend is his mother. That's a new one. Hey, just keep putting them out. I know, I know, I know. Keep, keep, keep developing that repertoire. <laughs> it's something. Now let's get the answers to our Take 5 film quiz. Okay, so before the uh, relaxing Philharmonic Orchestra piece, mm -hmm. I had five film quotes for you and I asked you to name the films that the quotes were from. And I'm giving you a bonus point for naming the actor that said the line. I'm going to have to fall back on some of those bonus points, I think, because... <laughs> it was the next one, I thought, this week. I, I, this, thought... This, I mean, if, if I have one of these correct, it's a, quite an quite a interesting deep pull, I think. <laughs> OK. Well, let's find out how you got on. I thought I started easy mm -hmm. with, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. That's, of course, Gone with the Wind, uh, as spoken by Clark Gable. Correct. And correct on the bonus point as well. Number two, To Infinity and Beyond. There we go. Another famous one, uh, Toy Story, uh, by Tim Allen. Correct. Well done. Two points there. Number three. The first of the tricky ones. Kid, the next time I say let's go someplace like Bolivia, let's go someplace like Bolivia. See, I can I can picture the type of film it, it comes from, like a sort of buddy comedy type thing. Um, but I've, I've really no idea what it could be. I mean, even, even as far as actors go, it could be any number of people, I think. So I'm going to going to pass on that one unfortunately okay the film was butch cassidy and the sundance kid uh see yeah yeah you were on the thinking along the right lines yeah 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 and the actor was paul newman okay said the line okay number four i had the craziest dream last night i was dancing the white swan 
Okay, this is the one I found interesting, I think, because it's not the kind of film that we normally talk about on this particular show. Um, but I think it's Black Swan, and the actor is Natalie Portman. Well done. Okay. Great on both. Yes. Have you seen that? I haven't. I, I mean, I, I've only, I've, I only saw it once in the, the cinema, and I um, almost passed out, I think, from how... Yeah, I, I, I think that was mainly the heat. There wasn't the, the aircon wasn't working in the theatre, so I had to, I had to leave, wow. take a breather, and then come back five minutes later in the uh, in a completely different seat. <laughs> okay. So I haven't seen the whole movie, the movie all the way through. But yeah, what I did, what I did see was quite good. And quote number five was simply a boy's friend. Sorry, a boy's best friend mm. is his mother. Yep, never famous one, I think. Um, that's Psycho, and the actor is Anthony Perkins. Correct. Well done. Well done. Uh, quickly top your scores up, there. Okay, that's uh, that's an eight out of ten, which is the, the highest score anything's going to get on this show today. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. That's uh, impressive. Thank you. And uh, let's hope you did as well as Nick up there on the wards. Okay, up next and available to rent, we review Sicario Two, Soldado. Which reunites the actors Josh Brolin and Benicio del Toro. You're listening to the Sunshine Cinema Club, and now it's time for our review of the film to rent, which is Sicario 2 Soldado, Certificate 15. FBI agent Matt Graver calls on the uh, on mysterious operative Alejandro Gillick when Mexican drug cartels start to smuggle terrorists across the US border. The war escalates even further when Alejandro kidnaps a top kingpin's daughter to deliberately increase the tensions. When a young girl is seen as collateral damage, the two men will determine her fate as they question everything that they are fighting for. No rules this time. Turning you loose. How loose? Carlos Reyes. How's that for loose? It's your chance to get even for your family. Who's gonna help us start a war? With who? Everyone. Now, Sicario 2 Soldado was written by Taylor Sheridan, who wrote the, he wrote the first Sicario film, and he's also Oscar-nominated for writing the uh, screenplay for um, Hell or High Water. Yeah, which is a really, really good film, if you haven't seen it. Yeah, with uh, Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges. Yes, and, and, ben, and ben Foster as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sicario 2 features uh, Benicio del Toro, Josh Brolin, and Isabella Mona. Now, as um, sequels go, Nick, is this is this a good sequel? Is it a sequel? Uh, it's an unexpected sequel, uh, certainly. Um, I think it works pretty well uh, as a sequel. I think it certainly does a good job of getting the uh, the tone right from the first one, which, um, as we discussed, was incredibly grim. Um, actually, I have to confess, I had completely forgotten how I felt about the first Sicario. I had to, I had to listen back to our uh, our previous review of it, um, and I, I feel like I, could, I did a good job. Didn't didn't talk too fast. 
eight out of ten for my performance there from what was it 2016 whenever um so the, the first film was uh it, for those who didn't see it it was a, a deep dive into the world of uh, u.s uh, black ops fighting against mexican cartels and it was well it was, it was pretty brutal brutal let's be honest um almost overwhelming um and i feel that in hindsight that was by design we were supposed to feel um you know out of our depth when it comes comes to uh looking at that particular topic um so going into this i did wonder what's to be gained from making a sequel in the first place especially uh without the character uh from the first film that was played by emily blunt who was the she, she was the audience surrogate in the film we sort of followed her starting to get involved in, in this world and sort of watched her try well, attempt to to navigate through it and try to understand it we we felt as she felt and when she leaves that world behind at the at the end of the film, I and I imagine many people watching it felt content to to do the same. So, <laughs> but we're back, um, and crucially, Sicario Two does not have a character like that. Now we're, we're you know, from the start we're following people who are already fully immersed in this uh, dark and dangerous world, and we're more or less uh, forced to accept what they're doing, which for, for me made it an even tougher watch than the than than the first one a, a lot of this film was dedicated to uh bad people doing bad things to each other T- to me it felt like it was made by people who liked the surface details of the original but maybe didn't uh didn't quite understand some of the some of the deeper themes that were going on to it or maybe those i don't know maybe that's a f- f- feigning on the films on the first film's part that those deeper meanings didn't quite get through to to some of the people that um enjoyed it um how, how did you feel about the opening scene? Well, I think it's... Uh, it's horrible, I, know, <laughs> I thought. I tried to put it into words, yeah. Pretty pretty disgusting and... and in bad taste, do you think? Or I mean, I'm in I two minds about it. it. I don't want to give anything away. No, I mean, well, I don't want to talk about it briefly because it sort of <laughs> somehow manages to tie together the cartels... Uh, ISIS and Somalian pirates, which is it's almost like a conservative politician's. Um, uh, maybe that's a phrase I can't say on, on the radio now that I think about it, but uh, it feels strange. But on the other hand, I, I understand the need to establish what's at stake at the beginning. But it is, I mean, even more than the rest of the film, it is a, a really, really uh, tough watch. Um, similarly, the. Well, not similarly, but um, additionally, the ending. I, f- I feel like without getting into these, it suggests that gonna, there are going to be further entries in a series that I don't really think needed extension in the first place. So I'm seriously worried about dimin- diminishing returns. Uh, as it stands, this film is it, it, it's okay, but it's not a patch on the original. I thought. Okay. Well, let's give it a Sunshine Cinema Club rating mm-hmm. out of ten. Yeah, and, and, and the cast is still good. That's worth saying as well. Um, I'm going to, I think, six out of ten. Uh, I don't really think there's anything else to, to say about it, really. It's 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 even harder to watch than the first one, but to a certain extent, it is well made. OK, thank you, Nick. Well, sadly, that's all we've got time for on today's show. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back same time, same place on the next show. And until then, we bid you farewell. Yeah, goodbye. To find out more about Sunshine Radio, visit our website at www.sunshinehospitalradio.com. Dot co.uk